the most famous fortune teller in Swedish history is probably Ulrika Avitsen. She was born in the 1730s to Erik Lindborg and Anna Katarina Bergen. Erik was a royal palace caretaker. After he died, Ulrika's mother married the royal chef and Ulrika adopted his surname. So growing up in the royal court, she learned very early on the importance and the value of information and rumor. Now, not much else is known about her life until the late 1770s when her name began to appear in the letters and diaries of various members of the nobility who praised her skills as a palm reader and a mystic. Her specialty was reading coffee grounds, which was the new trend in Swedish occult circles at the time. She was nicknamed the Coffee Ceres. So we can get a sense of how successful she became from her appearance in the tax census of 1780 and by looking at the list of clients she built. Almost all of them were from Swedish high society. Princes, kings, dukes, noble women. They visited her little office at the end of an alley in a rough part of Stockholm for readings and advice. And she accurately predicted deaths, promotions, betrayals, pregnancies, weddings, you name it. And this was either because she really was channeling visions sent to her from the spirit world, or it was because she maintained a network of spies and informers seeded throughout the Swedish aristocracy who fed her dirt and gossip. Occult practice, you know, magic, fortune telling, that kind of thing. It was actually illegal in Sweden at this time, but Ulrika's powerful friends protected her. And on one occasion, King Gustav III told the chief of police to back off when the chief tried to issue her with a caution for practicing magic. In fact, Gustav was a frequent visitor. He even asked her for tactical advice during the two-year-long war between Sweden and Russia in the late 1780s. During Gustav's first appointment, Ulrika had told the king to beware of a gentleman you will meet this evening. He wears a red vest and carries a sword. He is the one who seeks to take your life. That night, Gustav and his friend, um, one Count Jacob de Legardier, walked into the palace and they met Adolf Ludwig Ribbing on the grand staircase. Now, Riebing was another count, and he disagreed with Gustav's policies and harbored a personal grudge because the king had arranged a marriage between Count Hans Henrik von Essen and Charlotte de Geer, with whom Riebing was, by all accounts, madly in love. So as Gustav and the count exchanged fairly tense pleasantries with Riebing, both of them couldn't help but notice the red vest he was wearing and the sword that he was carrying. Now, it's probably worth mentioning that it's possible that Ribbing actually met the king and the count a few days after Ulrika's warning, and on hearing about the prediction through gossip, bought himself a red vest and a shiny new sword, then timed his arrival at the palace to ensure that the king would run into him in order to freak old Gustav out. During another session, Ulrika again warned the king about a man who would kill him, this time while wearing a mask and holding a sword. 
Ulrika wasn't even the only psychic who warned Gustav about an impending assassination. Henrik Ulfenklu sent a letter to Gustav while he was in Italy, in which he predicted his death, and Charlotte Rus, another Swedish psychic, uh, she also claimed to have had a vision of Gustav's murder. So King Gustav then, he descended to the throne in 1771, and he tried to rule as what they would call an enlightened despot. You know, he tried to strengthen the monarchy while promoting the arts and sciences. He legalized and encouraged Catholic and Jewish presence in Sweden. He played a major role in organizing an alliance of European royalty to crush the French Revolution. And he tried to modernize Sweden's economy while implementing social reforms that he hoped would head off a revolution in Sweden. He was trying to walk this very strange middle ground between progressivism and autocracy. The war with Russia in 1788, that was a war that he had championed and it turned out to be a disaster and it resulted in significant territorial losses for Sweden by the time it ended in 1790. It put a major dent in his popularity and it fostered increasing discontent amongst the Swedish nobility and the general public. The Union and Security Act that he introduced in 1789 substantially increased his own power while drastically curtailing the influence of the aristocracy, you know. So they seethed and they fumed, and a few of them quietly discussed what should be done about King Gustav. And then on March the 16th, 1792, the king held a masquerade ball at Stockholm's Royal Opera House. Now, he'd received a note earlier that evening warning him of an impending assassination attempt, but he didn't take it particularly seriously because, as we've already seen, he got so many of these predictions and warnings. Once the ball began, he stood in the Royal Box for 10 minutes, daring any potential assassins to take a shot. And when he didn't get a response, he decided to mingle with his guests. As he moved through the crowd, he was shot in the back by Jacob Johann Ankerström, who was a nobleman with a personal grudge against the king. It took Gustav 13 days to die, although initially it seemed like he could well survive the shooting. There has been speculation that his physician was in cahoots with the coup plotters and may have been tasked with poisoning the king to finish him off. There is some evidence as well that while he was dying, he returned obsessively to the subject of Ulrika and Charlotte's predictions of his murder. The assassination had been planned over the winter by Ankerström and a group of like-minded nobles, among them Adolf Ribbon and Claes Frederick Horn. There's a decent possibility that Ribbon also fired at the king at the ball. Ankerström was tried and convicted and his execution was deliberately protracted and gruesome. He was shackled, flogged, he had his right hand cut off, he was bled out, and then he was finally beheaded and quartered. Ribbing and Horn were exiled. Ulrika was briefly considered a suspect in the assassination, but the authorities soon moved on, and she continued to give readings, but her business hit kind of a rough patch after the Swedish government banned coffee. So the coffee serious died in 1801. After the death of King Gustav, it would be 194 years before another Swedish head of state was assassinated.
histories of ages past, unenlightened shadows cast down through all eternity. The crying of humanity. Tis then when the hurdy-gurdy man comes singing songs of love. Then when the hurdy-gurdy man comes singing songs of love. Hadigadi, 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 hadig